Mrs. Jones, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm amazing. Did you have an incredible week? I did have an amazing week. Tell me about your week. Well, let's work backwards. Work backwards then. We've just gotten home from our leadership retreat. We should call it a leadership advance. Yes. Like all the other trendy churches. Yes, I understand. (laughs) So we took all our leaders away this weekend for our School of Supernatural Life. Yeah. We have 15 members of staff running the school this year. Yeah. 10 of whom are our small group leaders. Yes. And nine of those, it's their first time ever small group leading at the school. Yes. So we take them away and we do a, I guess, a four-day training, training, bonding, connect time. We'll talk about that in a second. So that was about five and a half hours away, was it? Yes. Somewhere in the middle of nowhere. Gatlinburg. We had a beautiful cabin. We did. It was a really nice cabin. Absolutely gorgeous. I didn't mind nature this weekend. That's because you didn't really go outside. Well, they had big bay windows. There was no need. And you there could was see nature from your inside. Air conditioning too. and Wi-Fi. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so that was that. And then that, So we left Thursday. Yes. I don't really remember anything else. I spoke on Monday. Oh, yeah. Last week, our podcast was about the church. Thank you to everybody who gave me feedback on that. Really appreciated the emails and the tweets and the texts. Um, if you listen to last week's podcast, it might interest you to know that on Monday night, I did kind of a more in-depth teaching on the church. So if you enjoyed last week's podcast, you might want to check that out. We'll put a link to it in the show notes. And then tomorrow night at m I think I'm going to be teaching a second part on the church. Mm-hmm. Kind of putting the spotlight in a different place. Yeah. And then Tuesday and Wednesday, I think we're just our normal meetings, connecting, mm-hmm. preparing. Just, yep, lots of meetings. You know what I'm sad about? What? Is this morning we weren't at church. I know, and I heard it was amazing. Yeah, Dr. Brian Simmons, who wrote the Passion Translation of the Bible, yeah. was at our church speaking. We we're very sad that we missed it. Heard he was amazing, but ask me why I'm not sad. Why aren't you sad? Because he's coming back in October for our Heaven Declares conference. I knew that. <laughs> <laughs> then you were a wonderful, magical assistant. Thank you. I'm also not sad because I can watch it online. Oh, yeah. There's that too. We'll put a link to Dr. Simmons' message at Grace Center this morning, also in the show notes. Yeah, that'd be good. Any highlights from the weekend that weren't um, stuff we're going to be talking about in a second? Well, the food was fantastic. Really, really good. So that was really nice. Of course, food's usually a highlight for me. Mm-hmm. Quite like that. How are you enjoying being paleo? I I really feel better being paleo. I feel much less groggy slash grumpy slash... Uh, My stomach doesn't bug me as much. You're giving me a look like I'm still grumpy. I'm still in pain. You have to give me a little bit of grace here. They want me to have surgery on my shoulder. That's not for nothing. (laughs) No, it's not for nothing. So we're writing the grumpiness off to the shoulder pain. I feel less irritated by my stomach. Oh, good. We went to a somewhat rundown. Well, let me back up. Normally when we go away on our leadership training weekend, Historically, for the last four years, we've always done river tubing. Yes. If you don't know what that is, I don't blame you because I don't know what it is. But basically, we drive somewhere and there's this place that rents out large inflatable rings. Tubes, yeah. Tubes, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, they're more like rings that you sit in and then you just float down a river. And that's what we do for amusement. And it takes a couple hours and you just hang out, talk. And it's surprisingly fun. Yes. I mean, initially, there's the shock that it's freezing cold. Yeah, but you get over that 
pretty quick. And occasionally there's lots of rocks. Yes, or fish. Or fish. The fish don't bother me. No. But this year, the water was so low that they said it would take how many hours to go down? They said it would take three hours and that we would be hitting our butts on lots of sharp rocks and things like that. So, Or having to walk for large portions of the river. So while that sounded incredibly appealing, <laughs> we opted for something different and went to a somewhat rundown no. theme park, would you call it theme park? I think it is actually set up for skiing in the winter and they're trying to think of something else to do with it in the summer. And so somebody got the bright idea in the 70s or something to make a couple of rides there for the summer. Right. The and best ride. They're still the same as they were 40 years ago. Granted. And it was a flashback to my childhood. Yes. Um, yeah, it's the only way I could describe it. I was like, okay, 10-year-old Alan is in trauma because this is a lot of what my summer vacations were like. The good part was they had um, chairlifts. They did. That was the most bestest part of the park. I tell you what, like, I get why people like mountaineering. Pardon? Well, I get why people like mountaineering. <laughs> Do tell. <laughs> <laughs> It's kind of fun to be at the top of a mountain. Yeah. I just like sitting <laughs> and being ascended to the top of the mountain. Yes. It's a good thing that you do because somewhere in between the bottom of the mountain and the top of the mountain, there was five black bears. Right. And I enjoyed the sitting and being carried up by some scary cables. Yes. But we made it. It occasionally stopped. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we got to make out on the way up and on the way down and on the top. We did. We, we had photographic proof. That, that was fantastic. Mm-hmm. And then they had, I don't know how you describe this, it was kind of like a miniature bobsled run without the bobsled or the ice. It's okay. like a predetermined pattern down the side of the mountain. Yeah, it's a, like a stone... Uh, Curved. Course. Right. Yeah. And then you sit in a kind of slash cart slash skateboard slash bobsled slide thing yes and then you have a handle in the middle that apparently it goes faster goes normal and breaks but we couldn't really get it to go fast no it didn't go fast enough for me right yeah you're the daredevil in the family yeah but we if you if you can't wait to be entertained by video of going up a mountain and down a mountain we put that on instagram for you as well yes it was a banner social media weekend. And actually, the guy on the slide stopped you because you were filming, and it was very naughty. I know, and I could have been reckless, what with the speed of at least 15 miles an hour going down a hill. Shocking behavior. He didn't stop me, however. Well, you weren't filming, that's why. I was. I filmed all the way from the top to the bottom. How did you get away with it? Um, I just sort of waved at him and said, he said, both hands on the thing, lady. And I said, I have frozen shoulder, I can't. And I just wait, went wait, right wait, past wait, him. Wait, wait. We're missing a very important <laughs> part of the story. Where was my camera? In your hand. Where was your camera? In my shirt. <laughs> More accurately. In the front of my shirt. <laughs> yeah, your phone was strategically placed and I don't think the poor little man knew what to do. I don't think he saw it. He just said to me, you need to have both hands on the the stick thing that makes it go faster, you know, slower. And I said, I can't. I have frozen shoulder. I can't use this arm for that. So and you don't think he saw and you? And he said, okay. No, I mean, it was just the very top of the phone that was sticking out of my shirt. <laughs> <laughs> and then the second guy didn't comment on the phone either. 
he just said, you're supposed to be holding it with two hands. And I said, I can't. And I just went right by him. I didn't even slow down for him. You're just a rebel. Yeah, I know. Amazing, right? So that was our week. It yes. went by fast. It did go by really fast, yeah. Yeah, anyway, we're super excited about the school starting in two weeks. In a week. A week on Tuesday Orientation starts. is next week, yeah. Crazy. And we're super excited about our team, really excited about our leaders. We're just raring to go. Do you know what I'm excited about? Mm, no. Having a date with Muggins tomorrow. Muggins being your two and a half year old son? Yes. Okay, good. He's so adorable. He is very adorable, and our kids did wonderfully with us being away for four days. The longest you have ever left them. Yes. Big shout out to Cindy, who took amazing care of our three precious things. They got tattoos and piercings and apparently didn't scream the whole time. I know. She taught them to smoke. and (laughs) Just kidding. No, uh, they're in great condition and didn't seem to have any problems with us going, which was great. This week, I wanted to talk about leaders. Yes. In particular... How we pick our leaders. Okay. And what have we learned over the years? Okay. What are some of the things you look for in leaders? People you're going to pour into? I think one of the main things that we ask ourselves when we're looking at people for leaders or to be leaders is how many more of this person do we want? Right. That's a great John Wimber question, wasn't it? Yeah. So when I look at, you know, Bob... How many more bobs do I want? If the answer is I don't want any more bobs, Bob needs to get a little bit of healing and blah, 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 then Bob's not somebody I'm going to pick as a leader at this moment. Right. But if I'm looking at Bob and I'm like, gosh, I want a hundred more bobs, easy decision. Right. Bob's somebody I want to invest in as a leader. And yet there's there's more to it than that as well, isn't there? Mm-hmm. When we were out in Reading at Bethel Church, Um, I sat in on a session that Danny Silk was doing, talking about leaders, raising leaders. Mm -hmm. And he said this great line, he said, whenever we are thinking about releasing leaders, we ask ourselves, will this person protect the culture that empowers them? Yeah. And that's often an overlooked aspect of leadership because you can find people with great leadership qualities, you could find people that you'd love to qualify, but sometimes you don't know what they're going to be like until they experience the ring of power. Right. And so what I mean by that is once you've released somebody into leadership, what do they do with that responsibility? Do they lord it over others, like the Bible warns against, or do they use it as a place of serving rather than status? Right. Which brings us to the third thing that we look for, Yep. which is teachability. Do you think that teachability is potentially the most important thing in a leader? By far. We heard um, Lyle doing a Periscope last week. Do you remember what he said? And he was talking about the difference between being teachable and being trainable. It was brilliant. It was a Periscope. Mm -hmm. And and, uh, I think he said, like, if you're trainable, basically that person will kind of toe the line and check the boxes and do whatever they have to do to get into leadership. Those that are teachable will also check the boxes, but along the way they'll grow and they'll get input and they're going to stay in it for the long haul because they're in it, you know, to serve the leaders and to serve the vision where those that are trainable are really in it for themselves. Right. He made this great distinction about anybody can be trainable. Mm -hmm. Anybody can set aside their agenda for a short period of time to accrue new skills, um, you know, to to learn new things. Whatever, yeah. But being teachable means you're 
willing to change. Yeah. So often when you're trainable, you want to just absorb some new stuff and you'll decide how it fits into your life if it does at all. Being teachable means you're willing to subject yourself to another person's um, plan or another person's will. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we ask, how many more people would be like this person? Mm-hmm. We ask ourselves, will this person protect the culture that empowers them? Mm-hmm. I.e., are they going to go off and build their own kingdom? Or are they actually interested in reinforcing the kingdom and the culture that's present in in the organization, in this case, the school? Because we've been very deliberate and very intentional in in creating a culture. And then the third thing is, is there evidence of teachability? Mm-hmm. And the bonus for us is we have an eight-month interview process yes. called the School of Supernatural Life. Yep. So we're with these people for eight months, and some of these people much longer. Some of these people did the school, and for whatever circumstances, we couldn't ask them to be small group leaders. Perhaps we didn't need them. Perhaps the demographics that year, we didn't need as many guy leaders or girl leaders, whatever. Or it wasn't the right timing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So some of these people you know, did the school two, three years ago. And we've just been able to watch, they've stuck around in our community, just been able to watch them grow and put into practice the things that perhaps they've learned in our community and in our culture. I think too, maybe the 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 fourth thing that we look for is just uh, God's favor on it. You know, I think right. we've definitely, I've definitely met Bob's, for example, that I thought, yes, I want more of Bob. Bob's, you know, I want more people like this person. But the Lord has said, hey, hang on just a second. You know, like, just just wait a bit. And it's not that the Lord isn't agreeing that that person, you know, that they're a great person. It's just there's something else that the Lord wants to do in their life before before what we have planned, you know. Right. So I think one of the things that we also look at is, okay, Holy Spirit, it seems like a yes to us. Is it a yes to you? Is this the right thing at the right time for this person? And, you know, that's where sometimes we've asked somebody to be a small group leader two years later or a year later because we wanted them that year, but we felt like the Holy Spirit said, I want you to wait. Right. And um, it's always turned out really well. Mm -hmm. What are some of the things that you think are really important to implement to set up new leaders for success? Clear communication, I think, is super important. Um, clear communication of what expectations are, um, of what their role is, of what level of authority they have, um, just to set them up to be able to actually know the parameters of what they're being released to do right? Um, and what they're not being released to do, um, I think is super helpful. Yeah. I think a, a really important aspect is being given permission to lead the way they're built. Yeah. So all within the cultural parameters that we've set up. Mm-hmm. So, you know, our encouragement to our leaders is it would be terrible if you were a mini Allen or a mini AJ. Like, yes. that's not what we're looking for. Right. We're looking for the cultural values that we feel the Holy Spirit has instilled in this particular organization to be infused by you and see the way you lead. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you and I lead differently, me and Jeff lead differently, you and, say, Christine lead differently. Yes. And you have to have freedom to be able to do that and to work out what does work and what doesn't work, all the while with intentional feedback from the leaders of the leaders. Yeah. So Shannon, for example, our school pastor, is 
you know, walking alongside these new leaders and and coaching them and giving them feedback and saying, well, what do you think you could have done differently? Or, you know, would I be able to help you with that? And I think it's so important to place a high value on research and in development. Yeah. And what I mean by that is you've got to give people permission to screw up and it to be okay. Yep. And so one of the things we encourage our leaders is we're totally fine for you to screw up as long as you, you know, let us help you clean up the mess. Because mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's so much more valuable to learn something by doing something wrong and then learning what you could do right yeah. than, say, me just coming along and saying, hey, this is what you should do. It's yeah. so I I love that we have the freedom and the environment and the culture, which Jeff and Becky have done an amazing job of creating. You know, right from the get go when we got here, Jeff and Becky were so kind to us and saying, "Hey, you know, the the areas of responsibility we've given you are your forty acres. Do what you want. Call us if you need help or money." Yeah, and often would come alongside us and go, "Hey." Is there any way we could show you perhaps a better way? Or what did you learn from that? Or, you know, us having the freedom to go to them and saying, hey, we're thinking of doing this. What do you think? What, you know, what are the blind spots we're not seeing? But being given the freedom to make mistakes is is very, very refreshing. And encouraging new leaders that that's our paradigm is often difficult, especially if they've served in in a different culture, perhaps one that, you know, You have to be exactly like the person who led you. Right, or values... Nobody making mistakes. Right. That's a hostile ground for development. Yeah. I was also thinking that the problem with raising little clones, essentially, if they have to be just like you or they have to be just like me, they're going to have the same weaknesses as well. Right. And really, you can't be the best version of you if you're trying to be me. Right. So it's it's robbing you. It's robbing the world around you because you're trying to be me. What are some of the challenges that new leaders often face? I think, and maybe this will depend on their previous experience with leaders, um, but I think sometimes the challenge is to, that we don't actually believe that we're believed in. You right. know, that we don't actually, that that person is, you know, that that leader is standing in front of them saying, I believe in you, go for it. And they're going, well, you know, and they're still real hesitant and stuff like that. Right. But I, I I would imagine that probably comes from previous experiences of people saying, hey, I believe in you, and then finding that they're getting, you know, their hand slapped or whatever down the road. But I would say probably just not um, not actually taking things at face value and stepping out. But that's why things have to be communicated really well in the first place. Right. What are some of the biggest mistakes that you made early on learning to lead people? Oh, wow. I made a lot of mistakes. Um, well, apparently you're not supposed to punch people at church. Right. Especially as a leader. Right. Yeah. So that was that was a big one. <laughs> um, <laughs> not even joking. Not even joking. But that was a long, long time ago. That was a long time In ago. In a galaxy far, far away. Yeah, that was like about 20 years ago. Right. But I aside, did do that as a leader. Aside from punching people at church. Aside from punching people... I think I think sometimes, particularly when I first started like leading small groups and stuff, I would have to have really real conversations with the Lord because I, a lot of times, really felt I understood people's hearts and I knew what was going on when I really didn't. 
Wow. So that's a big one. Yeah. So I would be like, that person didn't show up because of blah, 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 or they were late because of whatever. And I'd get really aggravated. And then I'd ask the Holy Spirit about it. And he'd be like, yeah, that wasn't what was happening. (laughs) I'm like, you know, so then I'd have to go through and (laughs) repent for how I judged them for being late or, you know, whatever. And really you can't then go and, love somebody enough to correct them or love somebody enough to talk to them about something. If you're still aggravated, it's never going to turn out well. Right. So I would say for me, it was learning that whole process of, um, okay, maybe don't judge them first. Maybe chat with me first about what's going on. And um, don't think because you're the leader of this little group that you know everything that's going on. Well, is that great Bill Johnson quote, we're at our dumbest when we think we know the motives of another. Right. And, Wow. I mean, there's a whole lot of stuff I wish I'd known before. Because the truth is, you're doing the best you can with probably very little. Yeah. You know what I mean? When you start out, you're like, oh, I hope I'm doing this okay. And you're super self-conscious that everybody knows your insecurities and your weaknesses as oh, a leader. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What were some of the mistakes you made early on as a leader? Well, like you, there's a, a plethora. I think probably one of the big ones I made was valuing the process over the people. Yeah. So, you know, as somebody who loves to teach, I would spend perhaps more time caring about the teaching rather than the people who the teaching were for. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you would have this thing where I'd be so over-focused that I'd walk in a church and my priority was to get my my presentation set up. And all the while missing all the people who wanted to connect the thinking, person crying in the corner. Right, thinking, yeah, 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 if you just hold on, this presentation will kill you and it'll just be awesome and I'll answer the very thing you're upset about. Right. But what most people actually want is a genuine connection. Mm-hmm. And that took me a long time to realize that. And so, you know, I remember Jeff Dollar taking me aside one day and just saying, Alan, you need to walk a lot slower because everywhere you walk is with purpose. And so you, to get from point A to point B, you're ignoring everybody along the way just so you can get whatever it is in your head off your checklist. And I was like, oh, yeah. And I still struggle with that a little bit. I have to coach myself mentally and think, slow down, slow down, actually connect, stop, touch. And, um, I mean, that's that's one example that springs to mind, but there's, there's many. And that's why I'm grateful for other leaders in our lives who would call us on stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think another one is, uh, certainly for me, I would imagine for you, we're probably the worst people to gauge are when we're doing too much. Yeah. Right? So it's very helpful having Jeff and others over the years who would stop us and just say, hey, you don't look like you're flourishing. Yeah. And, you know, often the way we're wired, like, oh, we're not flourishing? Well, let's start a new project. That would be great. Yeah. When actually maybe rest is more in order than than a project. Um, I think probably because we're both shapers, we're both builder type personalities. We're not very good at stopping. Right. I think the other thing is as leaders that it's probably taken us years to come to grips with is the amount of influence that you have over people. Yeah. Never, never realized that at all. So people would be like, Hey, would you, you know, come to my party or you're invited to their wedding or whatever. And you would think, Alan, like it won't matter to them if I'm there or, you know, whatever. Right. Because not like 
not for any devious reason, but just because you're like, you know, I, I probably wouldn't notice who was wherever or whatever. Right. And then we started thinking in terms of, okay, now if I had a party and I invited John and Carol, for example, would I have noticed if they showed up? Yeah, I sure would have. Right. Would it have said something to me, even if they could only show up for 10 minutes? Yeah, it sure would have. We had to start thinking in paradigms outside of ourselves. Right. Because I couldn't get my head around why it would matter. Well, it's back to that old adage of in your efforts to remain humble or in your efforts to not think too big of yourself. I think we are on the side of we don't have any influence, but that's foolish thinking. And until you actually correctly evaluate who you are to your community, there's a danger that if you don't embrace that or at least acknowledge that, you rob people from the reason God put you in their midst. Mm-hmm. And you can be unknowingly trashing their hearts in the process. Totally. Um, and that's a hard... I loved what John Paul Jackson said. He said, let other people tell you who you are. And we've we've really tried to do that because the danger is if you tell other people who you are. So I'll hear people all the time just say, well, you know, I'm a father in the city or I'm, you know, an apostolic leader. And I'm like, if you have to tell people who you are, people generally will never believe you. Mm-hmm. But if you let other people tell you who you are, you'll never be able to convince them otherwise. Yeah. And I think that was a very helpful thing. Actually, listening to how people are receiving you and seeing if that lines up with what the Holy Spirit is saying about you. Yeah. And then embracing that. And I think I've probably spent a lot of time ignoring that for fear of being arrogant or, and in the process, slowing down the reason that God's actually put you in leadership. Mm hmm. John Arnott used to say that healed up leaders are the greatest gift to God's church. Yeah. I saw this thing on Facebook and I, I really liked it. I didn't I didn't uh, repost it because I thought, gosh, it could appear a bit cynical. And I don't think it was meant in that way, but it's very hard to tell the Facebook post. But John Acuff wrote this. He said, I'd love to see a conference where the spouses of leaders tell you the truth about the leader. On stage you can pretend, at home you can't. Right. And so that's one of the things I love about John and Carol to this day, that they're the same people on stage as they are off stage. That's something that really impacted us. Yeah. And because I've just been around too many leaders who are great when they're on, but really, really broken, sometimes unhappy, often not nice people to be around when they're not on. Yeah, they're leaving a trail of destruction. And it doesn't matter how good you are when you're on. Right. You know, who you are will absolutely come out. Yeah. And so I think that's one of the reasons I love the value that many ministries today are placing on having your heart healed up. Yeah. Because we, you know, the more healing we get, the better leaders we become, the better spouse we become, the better parents we become. So, yeah, I just, I guess that comes back to teachability too. I've seen great leaders who've got great competency, but when they refuse to deal with the stuff that's in their hearts, it will basically end up consuming them. Well, even using John and Carol for an example, you know, they've led a worldwide revival for over 20 years. Right. And they'll still say stuff to us like, oh, I want to come and take your prophetic course, or, oh, I wish I could go to your school, or, you know, whatever. And, they're not just saying that. They actually mean that. They're still hungry to learn, and they don't care 
how old you are, who they're learning from. Do you know what I mean? Like, right. They're, they're just people that are, they've set their hearts to learn all that they can and to, you know, learn the different facets of God. And they don't care if you're 40 years younger than they are. They want to learn. Right. I just got an email from John this weekend who was like, I'm at this conference. I'm with this 30-year-old guy who's setting the world on fire. You need to connect with him. So here's John who's in his 70s, who's totally impacted by somebody, you know, half his age. And and I just love that. He's a lifelong learner. Yeah. Again. Amazing. Teachability. Yeah. I have a listener's question for you. Mm -hmm. This is from Lee. And he asked this question. We've all experienced hurts of the past, but there comes a point in life where Jesus invites us out of the things we hide in and brings us into freedom. Do you have any advice for facing your fears and stepping out to become who you were meant to be? I, I suppose it kind of depends on what things in the past you're facing. Right. Um, but just sort of as a general blanket statement, um, Get wise people around you and then choose to listen to them. Right. Uh, Let them speak into your life about the things that are maybe holding you back. Because sometimes, you know, the things that are holding us back, there might be some legitimacy to it, but it's now become something that's much bigger than it is. Right. So, you know, like whether it's a victim mindset because there were some things that we went through as children and now we believe it's always going to be like that or, you know, whatever our um, things are that are holding us up. Those are all things that God wants to see us freed from so that we can walk into what our destiny is. Right. So I would say get people around you that will tell you the truth, not just what you want to hear, um, and that have tools to help you work through the stuff so that you can go ahead and be who you're supposed to be. Yeah. I also think it's important that you understand that the Holy Spirit is desperately interested in making you more and more like Jesus. Yeah. And he's very good at that job. And he never brings up anything to embarrass you. He only ever brings it up to release you from it. Which is amazing. And so just yield to the Holy Spirit. Be around people who have got the life that you would like because you know you, you, you become like the lowest common denominator of the people you hang around with. So hang around with brilliant people. Very true. Find a great community of people that will champion you, who will love you on your path to being awesome. And I, yeah, just kick fear in the throat. Really, because no good fruit comes from following fear. Never. Well, thank you for joining us for episode 66 of Keeping Up with the Joneses. Get your kicks on episode 66. I'm so sorry. I don't know what to say. (laughs) If you would like the show notes for this episode, go to alanandaj.com slash 66. If there is a question you'd like to ask us, again, go to alanandaj.com slash ask. We'd uh, love to answer your question if we can on air. We hope you have an incredible week, full of encouragement, full of excitement, and we'll see you next week. Stay teachable.